Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 94 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 94, Scott and I are going to talk about a series of random ideas. This is the random ideas episode. Not so much that each idea itself is random, but rather that they don't seem to have any particular flow and we're going to come up with ideas kind of on the fly. So Scott and I spent some time prior to recording this episode trying to come up with ideas for the episode, and we came up with several minor ideas, but nothing that really seemed to gel. So we're just going to kind of, we, we decided we're going to hit record and just kind of see what happens. And, and it's an experiment. Maybe we'll never do this again and regret that we did, but maybe it'll turn out okay also. Um, and Scott made a really great point just before we hit record here that this would be a great situation where having some sort of live stream of the podcast recording and having folks be able to respond to it, you know, either on uh, Slack or Discord or IRC or something and being able to like throw questions at us in real time uh, and explore ideas with us might be a positive thing. So maybe we should do that in the future somehow, but we aren't right yet. So we'll just kind of see where this random stuff goes. So a lot of babbling from me on that, which I will stop now. Uh, Scott, what of the, what kind of, do you have a random idea what you want to start with? Um, yes. So we're going to pick this one. Um, so I think that memorizing for everyone is going to be different. And, um, like when I say different, I mean different in the way that your brain best memorizes. Some people will do best by having the verse written out on a whiteboard and then successively erase words, um, making sure that you can remember it each time and then you know a verse. Um, other people may read through the material a bunch. For someone like me, for about a week or maybe even two weeks, I would do stuff like write questions and listen to the material a whole lot and write it down and uh, read it and both quietly to myself and out loud. And then at some point at the end of one or two weeks, I would then try to quote it and I could do a surprising amount at that point and we, it would just need polishing. Um, and I know that there are some people who say I will memorize two verses a day. But one thing that I kind of observe in people is that if you have something um, like memorize two verses a day, if you miss a day, then you're like, oh, now I have to do two verses um, on my normal day, plus the two verses that I didn't do yesterday to keep up, which is now a 100% increase in today's work, um, which will cascade the more days that you miss. And it feels really demotivating. And so I like to, I would like to encourage people to do something that is less stress, where maybe tell yourself, I want to memorize a certain number of verses over a week or two weeks or three weeks or something, but I want to do something every day. But that something could be just reading through two chapters or five verses or, or something that is relatively low stress compared to memorize two verses or memorize five verses. Because I think you'd be surprised at how useful it can be to memorization to have read through the material even just once. But it, it will also stave off those feelings of getting behind super quick. So I think giving yourself almost those – I mean – Maybe I shouldn't call them outs, but like giving yourself these little outs or um, rest points where it's, it's it's okay to just read through or, you know, but do something. I think it's an important principle. And that, that goes for anything that you're trying to do, right? Whether it's studying for a test or um, exercising or anything. If you have something really rigid that you're forcing yourself to do that causes you stress, um, not only is it going to be mentally difficult for you to do it every single day or on whatever cadence you are doing. But as soon as you miss one, it feels really burdensome to catch back up. But if you build in these points of um, lower stress something, but that is still an action that moves you along um, your line of progress, I think that's a great principle. Yeah, indeed. So there's a couple of things that connect to this. Like one concept that I am a fan of for me, uh, it may be demotiva demotivating for you, but it works for me, is this 
concept of of Seinfeld calendars. And so this is, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, comedian, Sandwich comedian, still does a lot of work. Uh, one of the things that uh, Jerry did, I, I don't know, some number of years ago, uh, it, it came out that what he does is to help him be motivated to continue working on crafting jokes is he uh, prints out a calendar for the month and any time that he works on jokes on a during a particular day he gives himself a little check mark for that day you know kind of stuff and it's less about how much he works in terms of like the number of hours per day that he's you know trying to put stuff together and more that he contributed something on that day that is the measure that he's trying to go for. So his goal is to basically like develop a pattern of, you know, check marks across how long can you get that series to last rather than saying, well, I need to work for four hours, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, each day, that kind of thing. Um, rather it's, you know, one day I only worked for an hour, but I still get my, give myself a check. The next day I work for eight hours, I still get a check, you know, that kind of stuff. At least every day there's some sort of forward momentum that's there. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, you, let's say you go for two and a half, three weeks, everything is great. And then two or three days in a row happen where like you just don't have an opportunity to memorize uh, a lot of, you know, life gets in the way, whatever. You can see this beautiful calendar of like, you know, two and a half weeks of solid checks every day. And then suddenly three days of no checks. And that can be, very, be you know, very demotivating as well. Because you're like, oh, now I'm having to start my, my whole theme or my, not theme, trend. I'm trying to start my trend all over again. And that's kind of sad and all that kind of stuff. So there are some potential negatives there. But I think a lot of it is more like try to do as much as you can each day when you're doing, but definitely at least start and have something where it's like, even if all it is, is I'm reviewing three verses in my head for two minutes, at least it's something, right? Um, so like one of the things that I use, um, have you ever, uh, Scott, have you ever used a, this little software called, I, I think, Anki, A-N-K-I, or have you heard of it? Yeah, Spaced Repetition. Yeah, yeah, space repetition. So, basically, um, how do how do you pronounce it? A N K I and Anki. I say Anki, but I, um, yeah, it might be Ankai. I, I believe yeah. that I've looked it up, the pronunciation, and completely forgotten. Yeah, it's it's some sort of Japanese thing, and I looked it up a few years ago and forgot about it, which is somewhat ironic because the whole point of the piece of software is to remember things. So, essentially, what you do is you you create basically virtual flashcards more or less and the you know you, you can you, you can put anything on it and what it you, you develop you know 20 30 50 of these flashcards 100,000 of these flashcards in a particular deck and you you don't worry about like how frequently you're connecting with back to it or whatever it manages all manages like which cards flash up for you and and you don't even have to pre-memorize anything. You basically just start, it flashes up a card. The first time you see, you know, a card, you have no idea what the answer is. So you just click a space bar, show the answer, and you kind of remember it a little bit. And you just do this over and over and over again. And it will select which cards that you want. And then you tell it, like, do I completely not remember this at all? Do I have no clue what this is? Or do I kind of remembered but not very well all the way up to like i totally got this one like i totally have that one you know memorized cold you know that kind of thing you provide this feedback into this you know engine and it goes and remembers that and it cycles through the cards and then it will select for you the cards that you need to spend a little bit more time on a little bit less time on that kind of stuff and it figures all that out for you and it's a great little you know product it's free I mean, uh, there's a Mac, there's a PC, there's a, you know, uh, iPhone, Android, you know, versions of this thing. And the beauty of it is like you build these decks and they sync across all your devices. So, you know, if you're just, you know, walking home, you want to pull if uh, assuming you're not driving, don't do this while you're driving. You can pull out your phone and, you know, review some decks and that kind of stuff. And it doesn't take much. You can literally do it over the course of like, you know, five minutes and say, okay, great. I don't have anything more than five minutes and put it away and come back to it, you know, a couple days later. Similarly, 
once you have verses in your head, uh, it is not difficult to just try to recite them in your head while you're doing something else. You know, um, while you're even driving, you can keep your eyes on the road and you can be recalling verses in your head and trying to remember what they are. Now, it's difficult to verify your word perfect accuracy there, but just by recalling the verses along with the references, you're helping solidify some of that knowledge. But then, of course, you want to go back and try to connect that with the actual source material so that you are making sure that you're actually uh, memorizing the stuff um, correctly. So, yeah, Anki is great. Looks like it's Anki. Anki? Um, yes, A-A-N-G-K-E-E as a pronunciation. Um, so, all right, let me focus my thoughts. So, you, one thing that you talked about is once you memorize something, it is fairly easy to recall it or at least kind of start recalling it. Um, but it is sometimes hard to quote to yourself or test yourself because you need to know it really, really well. And it, I think it really helped me in that everything that I memorized, I wanted to know it with reference word perfect, completely word perfect. That was the standard that I want wanted. And so once I was at that standard, when I was reviewing it, I either knew that I was recalling the verse or I wasn't recalling all of the verse. Um, there was almost never a scenario where I thought that I recalled it correctly, but actually missed a word. And that was because I put so much work into making sure that I memorized it word perfect up front. And because of this, I could just test myself because I would just quote and quote and quote and quote. And every time I came to a section, I was like, ooh, I don't know what the right thing is here. I wouldn't just say something and hope that I was right. I would say, you know what? I don't know this well enough. And I would look because I wanted to retain the word perfect, and then I would just make a note of where this was because I don't know it as well as the rest of it. So that was one thing that was always really, really helpful to me is that I didn't need someone else to quote to <laughs> because if you are trying to memorize something word perfectly, either for the whole material or for key verses, um, you need someone who is going to hold you to that standard. And not always will a parent realize that you have to get every single word right, even the really small and inconsequential ones, right? And right. so that was easy for me that I could just quote to myself and I knew I either recalled it correctly or I didn't recall it well enough. Um, but then the other thing that I think I did without realizing it is try to make the hardest thing as easy as possible. So the hardest thing for me was memorizing verses. It was relatively easy to just write questions or read the material or write it or listen to it. All of that stuff was easier than memorizing. But by doing all of that stuff first, it made it easier to memorize. I just read something um, this last week. It was an, an interview with a writer. And this writer said, the hardest thing for me to do is write my first draft is to like write it. It was it, This was the um, screenwriter for The Simpsons. The hardest thing for me to do is write the first draft, um, but it's really easy for me to edit. And so what she worked out is her first pass through had lots of really awful dialogue. Like, and then Homer went over there and talked to this person. And this person said, hey, Homer. And But then like the first draft was done, which was the hardest part. And then um, the editing, which was relatively easy, is where she would actually make, like, the story, you know? And it's just, like, if you can figure out whenever you're working on a problem, what is the biggest hurdle to you and what are ways that you can lessen that hurdle, I think is another great principle that doesn't apply just to Bible quizzing. Yeah, totally. One, one thing that I've noticed about me, it, this is not exactly about quizzing, it's more about bigger projects, um, you know, software projects that I work on or something is to break down a big project into manageable steps. So if I'm sitting here, like thinking at a very high level of, of abstraction about a particular project, I can look at it and say, oh, well, this is not that big a deal because I can conceptually think of it at this high level of abstraction and put all of that into my brain kind of in short-term memory all at one time, right? And I can get my head around it and I can think about it and I can shape the idea at that level of, of, of abstraction. But then to implement it, you have to dive many layers down into the very, very deepest level of, of abstraction, which is zero, right? Um, I mean, and that's not entirely true because I mean, we're dealing with software languages that are abstractions of hardware and, you know, it's turtles all the way down. But the idea being that when you're actually 
implementing something, you are at a very, very low level of, 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 of abstraction relative to, say, the entire project. And sometimes that can get very daunting if you just immediately drop to that lowest level from the high level, because suddenly the complexity that you're having to deal with across the entire breadth of the project is massive, right? Um, and it can very quickly, you know, buffer overrun my brain. So the way I fix that is I... I start at the high level, I drop down a tier and say, okay, how can I compart how can I break this into different parts? How do I compartmentalize only one thing? And then how do I drop down a level of abstraction into only that one thing, right? And then I just do that process over and over again until I get down to the base level of the code. So ultimately, when I'm working on some sort of big giant project, I'm never working on the big giant project. I'm literally working on like I have to make this one subroutine do this one thing right now, right? Or I have to do this one database transaction over here, you know, and make that work this one way, right? Now, it's really, 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 really important, you know, if you're a software engineer, this is really less to do about quizzing and more about software engineer, but I want to make sure I cover this because I don't want people to get the idea of like, oh yeah, just drop all the way down. Like, no, 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 no. There are a lot of software engineers that will start at the base level of abstraction and just start building things. And of course their code is gobbledygook because they didn't start from the higher level and work their way down, right? So I mean, start from the higher level and then work your way down and then move up and down in levels of, of abstraction to be able to get across the entire scope of work that you're doing. So relating that to quizzing, right? You might be thinking like, well, memorizing all of Romans and James is, you know, it could seem fairly daunting if this is your rookie year, you don't have experience doing this before. That That's a lot of material. It can seem very daunting. Uh, and very challenging, but don't think of it that way. Think of it as like, well, to memorize all of James and Romans, I first have to memorize James, right? And to memorize all of James, I first have to memorize chapter one, and the, to memorize all of chapter one, I have to memorize verse one. So start with verse one, and really start with the first few words of verse one, although probably it's short enough to just do the entire verse, right? And focus on getting that one nailed down and then just move on to the next one, right? And it's, um, uh, there, there's a sort of a scarf analogy that I use. I have this really giant long blue scarf um, that, I, that I knitted, knit? I guess knit is past tense. That at some point in the past, I had the process of knitting it together. Um, and it's really, really, really long. And it would seem very daunting to sit down and say, I'm gonna create a scarf that long. But it's actually really easy if all you're doing is thinking about like, I need to do this one stitch and now I have to do this one stitch and now I have to do this one stitch. And you just keep doing that over and over and eventually you have this giant scarf, right? You don't think of the scarf, you think of the stitch that you're doing in that moment. So similarly, when you're when you're working on, you know, James and Romans, think of verse one and then think of verse two and then think of verse three. And eventually you'll get all the material. And when you look at it, you'll be like, wow, I got all the material. I actually memorized all of James and Romans. That seems like it should have been harder than what it was, right? And it will be, you know, it will take effort, but it's less about, you know, hard work and more about consistently doing some amount of work above zero, you know, as, as frequently as you can, right? Um, and a, another way that you can maybe another trick to be able to help you you know, get into that pattern is to have like a quote buddy or an accountability, accountability partner, somebody who is memorizing with you, uh, not necessarily like in the same place or at the same time or anything, but like, you know, somebody who's on your team, you're going to memorize chapter one, they're going to memorize chapter one or a certain number of verses. And you check in with each other on a fairly regular basis. Like, you know, every couple of days, did you memorize 10 verses? Yes. Uh, no, I didn't. I only got eight or whatever it is. Right. And you work with each other to kind of uh, spur each other on. And by doing that, it sort of externalizes the motivation, right? It's one thing to disappoint yourself it's it's another thing to disappoint somebody else right so i have an amazing ability to disappoint myself very easily but uh it's much more difficult for me to disappoint somebody else i feel bad about that i don't feel bad about disappointing myself right so if i have a, an accountability partner a quote buddy um who's memorizing along with me and then i feel 
I'm, I know ahead of time, I'm going to feel guilty if, if they memorize and I don't. So that, <laughs> you know, a little negative reinforcement helps me pursue my goals. I think that's a good principle. My my brother has had a goal to run a thousand miles in a year and hasn't been able to get there. And so this year he got together with someone else and they have a goal to run 2000 miles this year together. Ooh, that's awesome. Right. That is a, and I love that. And so each of them have periods of the year where they might be injured or have vacation or get sick. But rather than the counter stopping moving, it always keeps moving. And they will often message the other one and just like let them know. And then the other one's like, well, you know what? I can do a little more than I usually do. Um, and it's kind of the shared thing. And I think that that's a, a great way to mentally keep both people moving forward. That is awesome. Can you imagine like a team doing that? Like a team of four basically saying we're all going to memorize the same because we've talked about, you know, a team of four dividing up material. But imagine a team of four saying we're all going to try to memorize everything or as at least as much as we can. But the but set a goal of like the team is going to memorize such and such a number of verses and everyone kind of has each other's back, you know, kind of stuff like I want to contribute um, at least 25% and I'm going to try. And if I don't, somebody else has my back to cover that. But you know, that, that seems like such a great idea. Yeah. I, I think it, yeah, it, it can really help to keep people kind of working together and on the same thing. Well, so uh, I don't know how to classify this next idea, but, um, I want to talk a little bit about levels of memorizing. We we've often talked about the idea of, of, you know, the ideal is memorize every verse, uh, word perfect with references, right? And obviously that's a very high ideal. It is not easy. Um, or actually maybe it is easy. It just takes a lot of work, right? It takes time to make that happen, right? It takes a lot of focus, uh, over a long period of time to make that happen, right? There are smaller goals that are, you know, easier to get to in terms of, you know, the amount of investment and they all have, rewards and i want to sort of throw out an idea and i'm not recommending you do this and i i'm not recommending that you use this azure goal because i think it is the a, a pretty low bar um and i think everybody can go higher than this bar but here's the thing imagine a quizzer who literally spends zero time between meets memorizing like absolutely zero they don't even open up their bible right and then on the road trip to the quiz meet, they don't, again, don't open their Bible, but they listen to the audio of the uh, new material for the meet, right? That's about as little of an investment, I think, as you can get that's above absolute zero, right? Um, but let's say you do that. There is a chance... I mean, it's not a particularly high chance, but there is a chance you might actually get a question or two at the meet if you do that, right? You're definitely not going to get a quote or a finish. You're you're probably not going to get a situation unless the entire quote of the situation gets out there. And then there's a pretty high probability you'll get the situation correct, right? So there are questions that are, I mean, situation questions won't exist in the future season with, you know, James and Romans, but you know, there are, you know, interrogatives that are out there that there are some interrogatives that you can guess on. And I'm not recommending that you do this and I'm not recommending that you guess, you know, these sorts of things. But if you're listening to the audio on the road trip, you can get a score that's above zero. Right. Um, so my my point about sharing this thought exercise is not to encourage you to do this plan but to say that every little bit does count, right? Sometimes we can get into a kind of an all or nothing sort of mentality of like, well, I've, I've got to memorize the entire chapter or it's not worth anything, or I've got to memorize, you know, at least some number of verses word perfect, or it's not worth anything. It, it's not going to get me anywhere. And it's like we, and, and as a result of, of setting that up and mixing it with the, the sheer number of verses that are out there, we can sometimes feel overwhelmed and actually not memorize anything. But in fact, if you memorize just 10 verses, like, like prior to a meet, if you are able to sit down and memorize 10 verses of the new material, word perfect with references, you will get a question 
at, at the meet. Probably. I mean, there, weird things happen. Maybe those, you know, uh, questions from those 10 verses don't come up or if they do, uh, you know, somebody else beats you out for the jump, but it's a pretty good situation. It's a pretty good probability that you'll get like a question or two at the upcoming meet, right? You can see results of the, of the time investment that you've put in, right? Um, so it's more, I just want to encourage folks to wherever they happen to be in their quizzing journey, uh, try to put in something above zero and whatever that something is, you will see fruits of that investment. Yeah. And I kind of view, um, like a Bible quizzing, I guess you could say district, but even just say a competition kind of as a market of sorts where, if I if if all that I want to do is get a question to meet, um, and I have to do very little to do that, then I'm just going to do very little to do that. <laughs> but if I have to do more to do that, well, I still want to get a question a meet, and I'll do more to do that. <laughs> um, but it's all dependent on are questions relatively s- scarce, right? Right. Um, and then it just pushes people to do what they would would do if they had to, but they currently don't have to. And so basically we're all just optimizing. Um, and so I don't, I don't think I was really going anywhere with this, but I think it just shows like districts really start to actually become strong when there is enough quizzers who are pushing that competitive envelope that forces everyone else to push it as well. Um, and if you don't have a certain level or amount, then I think it makes it hard for the district to be very strong because there's n- there's no reason other than just a pure personal um, drive for some level of excellence to do more when it's not really necessary, you know? Yeah, and you see some of that dynamic exist within a church ministry itself, right? So a church ministry that has, say, you know, four or five teams of quizzers is going to be stronger than a church that only has one team, right? And I mean, sometimes there's nothing you can do about that, either as a quizzer or as a coach. It's just, these are the number of quizzers who are here right now, you know, kind of stuff. Um, so it, it, it just, what am I trying to say? I'm When you have more teams at your church, you have more opportunity for stronger quizzers to exist just out of the probabil- probabilistic curve. And that sp- you know, encourages everyone to push just a little bit harder, you know, relative to if you had only four people, you know, at a particular church, it's a lot harder to kind of get that same level of energy and drive and competition that exists than in a larger group, right? So this is why district meets have more energy than say uh, a regional meet, which has more energy than say a church practice, which has more energy than a team practice, which has more energy than you memorizing on your own and, and quoting to somebody, you know, that kind of thing. And then it works in the reverse as well. There's more energy at say uh, an invitational like Great West than at a district meet and more even still than say at, um, uh, internationals. Yep. And I don't know how many other people are like me in, in that I was driven primarily by the competition and not by some personal level of excellence. And so if you posed the question to me, would you rather get a 90 at a meet, which I always wanted to do and never did, by the way, um, would you rather get a 90, but two other people also got a 90 or would you rather get like a 70, but you were first. And I was like, Oh, I would take a 70, but I was first all the time. And so because of that, if I if I had to do less work but still be first, I would do less work. <laughs> right? Right. And so yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I w- I'm I'm kind of the opposite, I think. I I'm much more of a I want to get a 90 regardless of wherever where anybody else is. And so for me, you know, if the if the if my competition is, you know, the the second place is at a 70, I don't want a 75, I want a 90. Um, if there are five other people who are at nineties, that's great. I want a 90, right? Like, and, and it's not about like, and it's not about being perfect. It's not like I'm, I'm like trying to be perfect. And that's the only thing that will be acceptable. It's more like I am aspiring to be as good as I could be, you know? And to me, it's more like, I don't, I want everybody else to aspire to be as good as they can be. And if there's a bunch of people who can be nineties with me, then so much the better, right? 
Yeah, but that would that would upset me because then the competitive structure was not such to only grant 190. You know, like to me, the point of having strong competition is it like brings out whatever your top level is. Right, right. And if that doesn't if that doesn't force a certain level of constraints upon the competition, then I think it's less useful. Well, that's yeah, that's very true. So I mean, you know, the the idea being that if you if there are five people who have nineties, then there's something really weird going on in terms of the level of difficulty. Like we need to increase the level of difficulty to make ninety harder, right? And I totally agree with that from a you know a program management perspective. I'm thinking more just purely from a quizzing perspective of of memorizing and trying to do well. Like to me. I would love to see everybody like if, if as a quizzer, I want to see everybody, you know, doing as well as they can. And if that means I'm sharing the spotlight, you know, I'm, I'm tied for first place with three other people. That's, that's fine. That doesn't demotivate me at all. Um, from my particular mindset now as a program administrator, um, I don't want that to happen because I want to reward the, the, the Scots, right? Like, like, because like, I totally get like from, from your perspective, that would be somewhat demotivating. Um, and I, from my perspective, it would not be demotivating to not share that position. Right. So for, for me, it would not be demotivating to have a 90 and have everybody else be at 70 or lower. So therefore as a program director, I want to ensure that, that I'm structuring the program such that I am not devoted demotivating either the Griffins or the Scots, right? Sure. Which is hard to do. Yeah, true, but it's not super hard. It's possible. I'm trying to distill my thoughts further. Cause I mean, every time I sat down to study, it was cause I knew there was one other person that I hadn't beaten. <laughs> that, right. That was, right. that was, and I was like, I know they're over there working just as hard, if not harder. So I have to as well. And that was like the thing that made it rewarding, right? That's why I wanted to go to internationals. I was like, I'm going to have to work really hard and then scratch and claw to even get into the top 25. And that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like if it wasn't difficult for me to do that, it would be less awesome. Right. Right. Well, okay. So let's, um, where do we want to go from here? Do you have another random idea that we want to jump into? Yeah, we can hit this one. So you and I have been discussing offline, like, what what should the bulk of quizzers do who are n- not go- not going to memorize the whole material? And when I say not going to, and I mean any, any manner of don't want to or don't have the time or w- whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter, right? right. But the, the 80 to 90% of quizzers in a district who are not going to memorize the whole material in a given year. Um, because I think... The common guidance has usually been memorize the keepers list because it is usually about 30 to 40% of the total material, which is kind of a nice number. Um, It's not five verses, but it's not 80% of the verses either. Um, And you know you're going to have a certain number of questions per quiz um, coming from just those verses. Actually, and that's not just on um, quotes and finishes, which are the guaranteed ones. Um, They will most likely pop up on other question types as well. You just don't know it in advance the way that you do for finishing quotes, which is part of the appeal. Um, but I would imagine that that is a pretty common uh, bit of advice given to quizzers. But you are presenting the idea that um, you think because the, the key verse list is a published list on a finite subset of the verses, and there are two entire question types dedicated to those types of verses, it invites a whole lot of competition, which makes them not a good idea to memorize from a competitive standpoint. Now, we don't have to rehash all the arguments over like, should we try to pick a keepers list to be the most spiritually significant verses because that these are the verses we want to push people to memorize if they're not going to memorize the whole material. <laughs> like, that's a whole other business. But like, ignoring that, um, I kind of agree with your idea that the keyverse list invites so much competition that unless you're one of the best three to five in a district, um, it's going to be actually really difficult for you to score on finishing quotes when you have specialized on the key verse list, which could be demoting, demotivating for people to potentially memorize over 100 verses, but actually score fewer points than if they had memorized fewer verses, but more strategically. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely going to be some math that goes in here. It's not just one variable because, like you pointed out, like the key verse list, yes, there's going to be higher competition for it, but because it is a finite list and, and, and it is public and everybody knows it, but there's also more opportunities, right? Like if you, if you intentionally, as, as just as a thought exercise, if you intentionally memorize a hundred verses that are not on the key verse list, then you will not get like you, you guaranteed will not get a quote or a finish type question because you didn't memorize that material. And that those are the questions that come from the KVL, right? Um, if you memorize the KVL, a hundred question, a hundred verses from the KVL, then you have both interrogatives and multiple answers and quotes and finishes. And you know, all the question types can come from that, right? So there, if you put, you know, competition off in a corner and pretend there there is no competition, then memorizing the KVL versus non-KVL versus it is it's a no-brainer. You absolutely want to memorize the KVL because you have more verses, sorry, more questions that you are now eligible to to jump on, right? Like you have the opportunity to be able to get those correct, right? Um, at whatever memorization level that you happen to be, right? But then there is that sort of flip argument to say, but here's the thing, the competition is not actually off in a box. They exist, right? And if other people are competing against you, then it makes getting those questions much more difficult relative to, uh, you know, the, 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 the addition of the question type. And then to take it a step further, the question types are not created equal, right? A quote or a finish is not the same level of difficulty as an interrogative or a multiple answer or a reference question. Well, uh, no, I'd, I'd actually, I'd still say, you know, on average, a quote and a finish are more difficult than say a, a CVR or something like that, right? But ultimately, like inter interrogative is way easier than a quote question, right? On a number of fronts, including the reference being part of it, right? So what if you decide to memorize 100 verses that are not part of the KVL, the questions that you are jumping on are not going to be the hardest questions. They're actually going to be easier questions with less competition. Right now, granted, you will never get a quote or a finish, but unless you're memorizing a lot of the KVL and you're doing so word perfect, it's difficult to get a quote or a finish anyway. Right. So like, again, we're not ever recommending that people intentionally avoid memorizing certain verses, but rather to say, if you, if, if you are only going to memorize 10 verses in a chapter, it's probably better. I think, and again, I haven't done the math. Um, I'm just sort of speculating, but I would suspect it's better to actually memorize non-KVL verses uh, because of all those factors. And I think that that's a very interesting idea. Um, and it got me thinking, if I could cherry pick a team among quizzers from a church, um, a four-person team, each of whom wanted to memorize, let's say, somewhere between 15 to 25% of the material, um, and then divvy up the material. Now, again, this team is not guaranteed to memorize all the material. Um, but I think that team could do very well um, in, a, in a very non-traditional way where most teams that are successful have a quizzer who is in the top eight and then another quizzer who often is good at the keyverse list or maybe knows the whole material but without references um, and is in the top 15 to 20, you know? But a right. team that has four quizzers, each of whom maybe aren't in the top 12 or 14, but all of whom are in the top 24, could be a really difficult team to face because you have no way to, to take away any of their quizzers. The way that if you know another team has a specialist, you can kind of do things to reduce their expected points in a quiz. Um, but I think, I think it, it is an underutilized strategy to memorize to kind of issue the key verse list, but memorize entire chapters and as many as you have the motivation to do. Right. I would guess that such a team would probably make it far, farther than you would expect in the bracket rounds, might even make championships, but would probably not be able to win first. Um, in other words, I think the team would outperform expectations in a general sense, 
but not be able to necessarily take it all the way. I think being able to have complete material mastery gives you enough of an edge that that no amount of balanced memorization across the team can can uh, disrupt. Um, but here's the thing. If you are a coach of a team or let's say you're a coach of, of a, a set of quizzers where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm this year, I don't think I'm going to be able to motivate these quizzers or get them into situations that motivate these quizzers to memorize hundred percent of the material. Uh, and if you, and if you know that ahead of time, the strategy could be a way of getting that particular group of four quizzers much further down the bracket line, much, much closer to the final quiz, if not making it into the final quiz in, in a fairly regular basis than they would otherwise. And that could be a very interesting, you know, road to take. But I think that being on that team would be wildly more fun for all of the members than almost any other team that they can be on. I mean, I guess oh, yeah. any one of Big the time. four being put on a team where they are the number two quizzer to a very good quizzer, like that could be fun as well. But to me, the coolest thing about the internationals experience was even the best quizzers are rarely getting two correct questions in a quiz. And it is very common for, for three of the quizzers on a team to get zero correct questions in a quiz, <laughs> but the quizzers who are getting two right in a quiz and or zero right in a quiz change every single quiz, which is super fun to me because Every single correct question means a lot more, especially when it means a third or fourth person bonus in a key situation. And that four person team that has divvied up the material would be doing that almost every single quiz. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, imagine the, the, the self motivation factor of it as well, right? So let, let's say you're one of those, uh, four quizzers who's memorizing 24 or 25% of the material, right? And you're on a team where you're the number two quizzer and you're getting a question or two a quiz and you're helping your team. And that's a great thing. And that's motivating, right? Versus being on a team where you represent a quarter of everything. Everything's basically on par with you. You're not a number two. You're just a co-number one with three other people, right? And you're able to get your team pretty close, if not into finals, most meets, that's highly interesting, right? Like that's pretty cool. And talk about a wonderful way to like have that feedback loop kick into gear where it's like, are you then going to, you know, as that 25% quizzer, are you going to memorize 25% of the new material and then stop? Or are you, you know, like it's, it's very unlikely that you're just going to be like, okay, great. I got my 25%. I'm done. Rather, you're going to feel pretty excited and interested in like, well, maybe I'll go to 35% this meet and kind of get just a little bit more questions than I would otherwise. Right. And that's not, that's one quizzer, right? Do that across all four quizzers. And you've got a situation where very quickly you're seeing four quizzers who are qualifying for great West. And I mean, that becomes a dominant team very quickly. It does. And I think the feedback loop can be very strong for any quizzer who memorizes a small amount of material, but really, really, really well. Because, I mean, if CRs and CBRs and quotes come up on that chapter, you can jump very aggressively on them and get right. them right at a high rate. And that's really fun when you know that you might be jumping against zero other people at that pace in the quiz right now again you you want to be jumping just at the pace where the slowest pace possible and still win the jump but it could be that on cvrs no one else wants to jump on the whole on just the reference and that's more than comfortable for you on a few chapters and that just gets really fun um compared to say finished questions where you might have four people jumping on them at a speed such that you're only guaranteed maybe 60% or 70% accuracy, even if you know everything. And that right. it just doesn't feel good to be subjecting yourself to that level of chance. Whereas in the CBR example, you can be subjecting yourself to zero amount of chance considering your study has been good, you know, which again, this scenario is for quizzers who are memorizing a subset of the material, but really, really well. And that subset doesn't matter. It can be a 14 verse chapter, you know, like Hebrews five. Um, it can be two thirds of the material, but when you, it, the, the key is memorizing it with references really well and whole chapters. 
and yeah, it can get really fun. And I think that that is a severely underutilized strategy. And I think if we recommend that heavier, a lot more quizzers will um, get in that feedback loop of scoring, and it kind of creates more efficiency in a way across mm-hmm, right. the whole question question questions asked competitive structure right well uh do anything else we have one other topic but i don't know if we want to jump into it because it almost feels like an entire other podcast episode and i think we've already talked about it too any other sort of brainstormy things pop into your head so we talked about like the optimal ways to oh i mean we can kind of sum up what we were discussing how a lot of our discussion is around the vast majority of quizzers who will not memorize the full material and probably don't have a desire to make internationals and how do we create more motivation and incentives and largely we focus on the competitive side and getting correct questions is really what um it's that positive feedback that really can incentivize people to study more um but one thing that i realized which might it's probably going to sound very clear with me stating out loud is it's really a fool's errand to try to implement anything in a quiz to allow those quizzers who haven't memorized the full material to get questions while the quizzers who have memorized the full material are still in the quiz because then you're you're just pursuing really really artificial i don't know if it's i mean you could explore things like the hardest questions get assigned larger and larger point values to incentivize the best quizzers to not jump on the questions that aren't scored that high, (laughs) you know, but like anything that you come up with is going to be very, very artificial. And so really the best ways to ensure that every single quizzer, regardless of how much they've memorized, has some opportunity to get questions and get that encouraging feedback through getting correct questions. Um, we, you know, we have aspects already. We have quiz outs that caps correct questions in a quiz by a single quizzer. Most districts have some form of brackets, right? Prelims, um, and then finals, and then consolations of various sorts. Some districts have divisions. Um, and I think all of those are really good ways because they don't change anything fundamentally about the competition and the question types, how many there are, the overall or average difficulty of the questions, um, or anything. It just... You're, you're kind of, at different parts of the competition, you put different kinds of teams and quizzers together, which is what we want to do, right? You, we want people to be tested at a level just beyond where they're at so that they have opportunities to get stuff that they know but also have some amount of difficulty in doing it. Um, and, yeah, it just became clear to me that pursuing anything in a quiz to allow, say, quizzer 30 in a district to reliably get questions while quizzer four is still jumping is just not going to work out the way that you want it to. Yeah, I generally agree. I, there's still a spot in me that uh, a spot in my heart that really loves the idea of 30 point questions for like, you know, let's say quote types or something like that, like, or quote two verses or something like that. It, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a quote two versus question versus a simple keyword uh, interrogative. Like to me, I I really want to reward the extra ten points uh, for for the the quizzer that attempts and succeeds at the quote two verses. Um, in a way, motivating them not not and and I do that not for the motivation of saying it will free up interrogatives for uh, you know mid tier quizzers, although it will do that. Rather, I want to do that to motivate the upper level quizzers to actually go after harder questions, right? Like like keep the keep your four question quiz outs, right? But to say like instead of selecting say for fairly straightforward easy questions, maybe I actually select some harder questions intentionally to give us more points or give me more points or whatever it happens to be. Right. Yeah. And you know, I like that. I think for example, I already did that by picking chapter verse references and um, because most people don't want to memorize the whole material with references. And even then a lot of people don't want to jump on just the reference. And, and, but to me, if I studied hard enough, that question was as easy as a two-word interrogative question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so to me, that question was worth more 
because not only was it scored at 20 points, but because of my preparation, the expected points for me was 20 points. Whereas, say, right. a finished question might be scored at 20 points, but because of the competition level, if I'm going to win a jump on it, my expected points might be 14 or 12 or 16, um, but less than the CVR. And so it was kind of doing my own calculation on the expected points, which... You, I mean, you could argue that all questions right now are are actually have different expected points. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they do. And those expected points are different based on the quizzer and the competition, right? So there mm -hmm. isn't really a way... Like you can say, well, on paper, it's worth 20 points, but what is it worth? Well, it kind of depends. It, what quiz it, who am I quizzing against? Uh, what question number is it? You know, question number two versus question number 18. That makes a huge difference. Uh, the quiz master might make a difference. Like, like there's all these sort of factors into the probability of you getting it correct or not, which then alters mathematically the value of that question to you. So yeah, I totally, I totally agree. The, okay. So what was my, oh, to make a golf analogy. So you, you talk about how difficult especially quote these two and finish these two are. And to me, the golf handicap system is almost a perfect analogy or parallel here. So in golf, there's a handicap system which allows golfers of different abilities to actually compete against each other by leveling the playing field. And one way that it does this is it scores the difficulty of each hole 1 to 18 because there are 18 holes. So one, the hole that's number one is considered to be the hardest, and the hole that is 18 is considered to be the easiest. Well, usually if you look at how the holes are scored, it is just the longest holes that are the hardest, um, handicap-wise, and the shortest holes are the easiest. And that is purely because of when you have the difference in skill levels among golfers, the holes that are the longest are the easiest for a poor golfer to make a mistake on. There's more room. They have to like they have further to go and they have more opportunity to make a big mistake. But for the really for the good golfer, the longer holes actually without getting into too much jargon, it is a smaller distance per shot that they actually have to go to get to the green and regulation. And so it's actually the easiest kind of hole for those golfers. And so it's completely opposite. And I really think the same thing applies in quizzing. For quizzers that don't have a solid grasp of the material, a quote these two seems like the hardest thing that's ever been presented to them. But for a quizzer who knows the material well, well, I would rather jump on the reference of a quote these two than three random syllables of an interrogative. Right, right. Right? And so it just shows how the difficulty of a question can be completely different to different quizzers. So which is why, I mean, to me, making a question, a quote these two 30 points and trying to invite the better quizzer to jump on these more, well, I think they already would want to jump on them more because they're relatively easy in the right circumstance than in an interrogative or a multiple answer if they're forced to jump too fast on them. Right. Well, so with that all said, uh, we are getting close to the end of the episode, so we should probably close things out. Um, want to remind everybody, of course, as we do usually and customarily, uh, we would very much like to hear from you if you have any questions you'd like either of us to field or most especially if you happen to disagree with anything that we have said in the episode, either this one or previous episodes, uh, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Our account on Twitter is at Inside Quizzing. And you can chat with us in near real time uh, on the Slack forum uh, in the channel Inside Quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Griffin. Thanks, Griffin.